this is podcast number five, uh, Learning Church from the Word Study 5. And I've entitled this study, Christ-Centered in Everything. Really going to focus in on the Lord's Supper at the end of 1 Corinthians 11. But we're going to draw some wider principles out of uh, this passage. And I trust we will be blessed by it. Um, uh, what I'll do to start with is I'll, I'll, I'll read the passage and pray uh, as normal and then we'll focus in on um, this, this section of the Word of God and try to draw some big lessons out of it um, at this time. If it's not, it won't be known to you, but this is the last podcast of a series of four podcasts I've done today to try and catch up. So uh, if my throat is a bit hoarse, you'll know why. Um, and my apologies for not having them up to speed. Um, hopefully that won't happen again. So study number five, uh, learning church from the word. <clears throat> First Corinthians, please. And chapter number um, 11 from verse number 17 to verse number 34. We'll read it together. <clears throat> now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I, in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which also uh, I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we might not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. We'll just pray. Father, as we turn to this other section of thy word that tells to us something more about a local church and its gatherings and, and who should be the focus of every gathering, we pray that you would help us as we think of these things to really focus in on the Lord Jesus. Help us to realise how significant it is to put him at the centre of our gatherings. We pray, our Father, that as we come um, and as we 
have the privilege of assembly fellowship and being together as a, in a lo- as a local church. We pray that we might put into it and so that we might really see the Lord exalted among us. We leave ourselves in thy presence. We pray that as we consider this topic over the next uh, number of minutes, that we each might be able to take something away from it and understand this passage a little bit better. We leave ourselves in your presence and pray for thy blessing in the Lord's name. Amen. Okay, so study five, Christ-centered in everything. Really, we live in a very self-centered world. Everything that we have is really about ourselves almost. Everything that is now being arranged is arranged around ourselves. Everything is about having your world, your way, as my Yahoo email account put it on one occasion. A common theme is, as long as you're happy, you go ahead. Advice from my vice columns insists, don't let anyone decide for you. And even the funeral hearses drive off to the streams of, I did it in my way, from Frank Sinatra. Um, you'll notice um, on your worksheet that I've put um, down a few different things on it this this month, um, this study. For a society, I've said, to binge on itself, as much as we do, it is impossible for it not to creep into our thinking as regards to the local church. And when you add to this the fact that we live in a service-driven economy, we're surrounded by services that are provided at a cost. We are the all-important consumers, when we walk into a shop, for instance, who are paying for a service. And again, this can affect how we view the church. How do you think it would affect it? Well, when we go into a new church, for instance, often the questions we ask are, would I be comfortable? Would I find a group of friends in this church? How can this church help or serve me? And you notice the focus on I and I and me. Now, now notice some of these questions are legitimate questions. But they're just not the only questions or even the main questions we should be asking. In other words, you'll see a little schematic diagram at the bottom of, of the page of page one. In other words, the way we think is the big important thing is me and my world, my family, my career, different things. And there's a small section of that that might overlap a wee bit. It's the local church. And we think of things in that way around. We tend not to think about it the way it has it in, in part B uh, of the, the little diagram, where where. I start to realise that me and my world really is almost engulfed by the other local believers. Yes, I have some things that aren't really directly attached perhaps to the local church. But as a a member in a local church with my brothers and sisters in Christ, blood-bought by the precious blood of Christ, I have so much in common that I don't have around me in the world. And the centre of it all really should be the cross and and, and the Lord. And so I put the little cross at the centre of that box. So I'm just giving a little schematic for us to see um, what I have in mind. Now, in, in Corinth, this mindset of me and mine was really affecting the gatherings of Christians. We We've already looked at the first half of 1 Corinthians 11, where he praised them because they were continuing... 
in um, observing head covering with sisters and, 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 and um, no head covering for brothers. But now when he comes to the second half of the section, you'll see how he changes his words. He'd say, I praised you that you're holding fast to what I told you in the first half. Now he says, in giving these instructions that I'm going to give you now, I do not praise you. I do not praise you. So he's going to speak about something that they are airing in. And it's with regard specifically to the Lord's Supper. But perhaps it will help to give a wee bit of background as to what was happening uh, in Corinth. What seems to have been happening, if we piece the bits and pieces of the puzzle together from the rest of Corinthians, um, was that they would have gathered probably on one day in the week, it was probably the only day that the slaves could have got off and things like that, um, where they gathered together on the Lord's Day and they did it and they had the Lord's Supper and they had a big feast, like an agape supper, we might say, a love feast. Um, and they had perhaps teaching and the rest. Um, you look at the context of chapter 14, uh, prophecy and tongues and those kind of things. All, all the kind of public side of gathering together in a local church. It was all happening um, at once, as it were, perhaps over a long period during one day of the week. The Christians would have managed to get together and uh, had that. Now, really the way it seemed to run was they were having the, they would have come along and and the rich people would have kind of gone into their little enclave at one corner. They would have brought food and they would have had a you know, come and share together kind of thing and well, they all would have eaten and been nice and satisfied and the poor people would have come in and they would have kind of sat in the corner and some people were drunk and other people were hungry. And this kind of social cliques were happening. There were schisms we know in the church and perhaps the Paul party was over here and the Peter party over here or whoever the names were of the Christians that were in Corinth that were causing these issues and, and, and part of these issues and, and there were all sorts of issues that were just bubbling under the surface uh, there were factions uh, beginning to develop divisions among them and all these things were going on and then in the middle of this big kind of supper they were having a Christian meal as it were together then the Lord's Supper would have taken place the, the emblems would have been handed around in the middle of that it would seem and they called the whole event the lord's supper you know here they were it was the lord's supper we're here to remember the lord uh, and it was it was not anything like the way it should have been for several very important reasons now just keep in mind that here we have this me and mine mindset affecting these christians as they gather together they all had their own little thing. They were forgetting about the bigger picture of why they were there. They were forgetting about the Lord who was meant to be there in the center as it were. And they were doing everything else. Now let's stop for a minute. Is this something that would affect us? And we're not just thinking of our local assembly. But other assemblies that we know of. I don't know whether you've ever thought about this but. There's a statement that you find out there um, 
this is not my grand, this is not our grandparents' church, or this is not your grandparents' church. And it was it was said to a younger audience so that they would be drawn along. You know, you wouldn't have the same traditions being held to perhaps as in your grand. But you think of what it meant for a, a sizable faction of people that would make up the backbone of any true gathering of believers. The older believers that maybe take the burden of prayer, that have the maturity, that have the wisdom. And yet they're being told in these gatherings that really they're not welcome. You can see how this would be an issue where Christ is not in the centre and therefore all of Christ's ones, all of the Christians, those who are bought by the same blood, they're not being given the proper um, appreciation as they gather together. Now that's not the way it should be when we gather as a local assembly. Every brother, every sister should be given this place. Uh, because Not because they should be the, the centre, but rather because Christ is the centre and they belong to Christ. Uh, and so this was the problem. Issues, factions were happening and... Paul has to address, as he says, I don't praise you. When you're gathered together, when you're coming together, and this is one of his key little phrases, happens five times, um, or seven times in uh, the section between chapter 11, 17, and chapter 14. As you're coming together, you're coming together not for the better, but for the worse. And the Lord would not have that to be the case. Instead of it being for the betterment and the, the blessing and the upbuilding of these Christians, actually it was causing deeper hurt and deeper division and deeper problems. So let's look down the verses. First thing we'll consider is the condition of Corinth in a little bit more detail, um, but I hope that gives a little bit of background to it. And hopefully at the end we'll be able to draw some lessons from the text. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I, in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions. Those divisions must develop and take their natural course. There must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognised among you. So what he is saying at this point seems to be, I hear that there are these, these splits that are developing and... I can kind of believe that from what I've heard and from what I've understood so far and from the fleshliness that you've showed chapter 3 and from the puffed upness that I've seen in chapter 5 and from all the issues that are coming out and the worldly mindset that you have, I can understand that that is happening. There's obviously problems here. I can hear there's divisions and in part I believe it. And then he says, um, I'm almost reluctant I'm also almost re reluctant to believe it is as fully as it's been told me. But then he says, for there must also be factions. In other words, those splits must actually form parties almost. Because then what will be evident is those who rise above this. Those who aren't linked to it. Those that aren't, those who are approved. And, and God is going to use almost, it seems... The circumstances to bring to a head those people that are not associated with his party spirit that marks them. That those who are approved may be recognised among you. God was going to actually use, it seems, the very splits themselves for the glory of his name. And then he says, therefore, when you come together, 
in one place. You know, you can see the subtle um, inf inference there. They're coming together in one place. They're, they are gathering together into one place, but it's not that they're gathering together as one. You can see that? You come together in one place. He says, this is not the, the Lord's Supper. You see, they had put above their door. No, I'm not saying they had, they hadn't. But they put above the door, this is the Lord's Supper. Or they'd say, that's when we gather for the Lord's Supper, whatever it was. Maybe they had a notice board somewhere, say the Lord's Supper will be happening at X, whatever time. But this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper that's happening when you're gathering together. He says, for, for in eating, and he's thinking about this meal they're having, for in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, in front of other people. And one is hungry and another is drunk. This is absolutely astonishing to Paul that this should be happening. You know, not so much that they're enjoying a social meal together. There's no problem with that in, in principle. But the idea that you would come and call this the Lord's Supper as though you're giving to the Lord, as though the Lord's in his place, as though everything is going fine and we'll call this the Lord's Supper. And yet one person is eating in front of the other, one is hungry and another is drunk. In other words, one has nothing given to him and another person's imbibed himself on wine in the corner. The two extremes of, of the situation. So on one side there's a complete lack of love and on the other side there's a complete lack of control. What, he says? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? He says, if you're coming along and this is the height of what you're doing, this kind of glorified social circle that has some people in and some people who are pushed to the peripheries, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the assembly of God? In other words, God has brought them together. God has called them out and called them together. That's the thought of assembly, ecclesia. And you're despising what God has done and bringing you together by having such divisions. And, and you're not even caring for the people around you. You're despising. You're despising the church of God. And you're shaming those who have nothing. In other words, people are coming in and they don't have anything to eat. And you're just exposing it to everyone. By allowing them to go hungry. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. This is very strong language from Paul. But it gives us an idea of the condition that's happening in Corinth at this time. And, and we might say, well, we might pat ourselves in the back and say, well, these things can never happen to us. Uh, let's stop just at that point. These things can happen. They mightn't be as vivid, vividly obvious as it is in Corinth. But I wonder if the Lord was speaking to us as a local church or the local church you go to. Are there people being left out at the peripheries? Are we treating every brother and every sister as brother and sister for whom Christ died? Um, are there divisions happening between rich and poor, between the haves and have-nots, between the educated and the less educated, uh, between the young and the old in your local church? I mean proper divisions, not, not just that there might be a time when some of them gather together. I have no problem with that. I don't think the scripture would envisage 
um, that, that there is a problem. As long as the generally, when the church is gathered together, the whole church, this is a thought, the whole assembly is together in this occasion. And it's assumed that the, that the assembly tries to be together, young and old together, rich and poor together. And they're all together to remember the Lord. They're all together for the Lord's Supper. It says you're despising the church of God and the work that God has done to bring you together. And you're shaming those who have nothing by your abundance in one place and, and the lack of uh, willingness to even share in others. And so we have a condition in Corinth, which is very bleak, but we have to ask ourselves the question, is that condition a relevant problem with us? Are young people set aside? Are old people set aside? Or, I'm not saying we can please everybody, but we can provide for everybody. That's a different thing. And we should be providing the right spiritual conditions for every believer in the local church. Now that's a condition of Corinth. Now the next section, verse 23 to 26, is the revelation of the Lord. Let's look at that. That's a key little section. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you. Now notice how solemn Paul is speaking now. I received this from the Lord. This isn't something that came to me even just through Luke, who who, who wrote his lovely gospel, or this isn't something that came to me uh, from one of the disciples who was there. I received this from the Lord himself. Now notice how many times he's going to use the word Lord in this passage, in this section. I think it's seven times, or there might be more. The Lord, not just Jesus, or not Jesus Christ, but the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord's Supper, or the Lord Jesus when he's being portrayed, or I received it from the Lord. You say, why is he emphasizing the Lord? Because there's responsibility being placed upon these believers to act in a different way, and they're responsible to the one who is their sovereign Lord, that they bow their knee to in conversion. They need to recognize they must obey him. For I received from the Lord that which also I deliver to you. In other words, he's passing on and he passed on to them something that he received directly from the Lord. And why does he tell us that? Well, this brings the weight and solemnity of what he's going to say home to us. This isn't something light. It's not something frivolous. It's something solemn and sacred and serious. Sacred. Now, that's a word that we don't think much about today. But we've got to remember that when we gather to remember the Lord, we gather for the Lord's Supper, that there is something sacred about it. It's special. It's distinct. It's been set apart by the Lord um, as something that we should do. And so therefore, um, the, as we live in a generation which takes everything that is sacred and makes it... you can't. There's things that people can open that once were sacred to marriage. Now they're blurred across the screens and across the radios and, and across the internet. Things that were sacred, special, reserved um, aspects of, of, for instance, the marriage relationship. But there are some things that are sacred as a, a local church. And one thing that's sacred is the fact that there's something very special about remembering the Lord. There's something solemn and, and, and sweet and serious. And we should remember that. That's what's going to be brought home at this point. I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, 
or he was being betrayed as the force of it. So as the Lord Jesus gathers his own around him, outside is dark and foreboding and there's a betrayal actually taking place. There's a man who's out for himself outside and the Lord Jesus is inside and he is going to he's going to tell him about his self-sacrificial love. So there's self-serving hatred outside, there's self-sacrificial love inside. Now think of the scenario. Here they are self-servingly thinking of themselves and their own supper and, and feeding themselves. And the very evidence of the love of God in a sacred uh, scene is taking place and meant to be taking place among them. So they're violating everything that makes this sacred. They're not loving the way they should love. Chapter 13. They're not being self-sacrificial the way they should be. They're self-serving. They are um, They are in every way denying the reality of what it is to gather together to remember the Lord Jesus. So the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was being betrayed. Think of the solemnity of that. He took bread. When he had given thanks he broke it. So that it's, it's in the scene of the sacred love and solemnity that there is thanksgiving. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now some versions don't have the broken in this, this passage. and I don't think it adds anything to the passage. I don't think it adds anything to our understanding. This is my body which is for you, or which is given for you. Um, that's my own uh, understanding of it. Do this in remembrance of thee. Okay? So here he is telling them about what's involved in the Lord's Supper. You take, he is taking the bread and he said, Take eat, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the spirit of thanksgiving. In the same manner also, take it in the spirit of thanksgiving. He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So he's told them that this body is going to be given for you. And they're to, they're to take it in remembrance of the Lord. And then he also tells us that this cup, he doesn't say it's my blood. He says it's the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant emphasizing the, the blessings that come to us through the death of Christ. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Then he says, this do as often as you drink it and remember to me. What does that mean, as often as you drink it? He says, every time you're drinking it, every time you're gathered together and you're partaking of it, do it for the remembrance of me. Do it in the calling to mind of me. Don't let it be a, a ritualistic thing that there's no uh, remembrance of me taking place. Actively be remembering me. I take it perhaps as a thought, um, while this is taking place. For, he says, and this is the addition by Paul, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice, notice the emphasis, the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So there's the idea of looking back on his death, uh, of remembering him, 
Okay? Remembering him, looking back on his death, or, or actually, in, you know, showing forth his death, preaching, proclaiming it, that's the thought, until he comes. So there's the looking back at his death, looking at his person, and thinking of the fact that we're only doing this until he comes. But we usually take this whole passage out, and it's beautiful, and you can... You've probably heard many messages on this beautiful text, but just keeping in its context for a minute. Think of the solemnity of this. Think of the love that was shown. Think of the self-sacrificial nature of it. Think of the sacredness or the focus on the Lord. All these things were missing in Corinth. They weren't thinking of the Lord. They were thinking of themselves. They weren't thinking of love. They were thinking of themselves. Uh, and they they certainly... Um, weren't living out this self-sacrificial nature or this thankful heart that they should have um, when they came together. So that brings to us something of the revelation of the Lord. Now, therefore, um, what about the application to practice? Verse 27 to 29. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now we've got to stop here just at this point. Notice what it says and um, the authorised has unworthily in an unworthy manner it has in the New King James here. What do we mean by in an unworthy manner? Well I think we must be clear that everybody at one in one sense is unworthy. None of us were ever worthy to come in and enjoy the cup of the Lord, all the blessings that come to us through the death of Christ. In fact, he speaks about the cup of blessings in chapter 10, that we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? Our fellowship with Christ uh, in his death, what, what a wonderful thing. Are any of us ever worthy of, about that? Of course not. But there is a manner in which we come that can be a very unman, uh, unworthy way. So if we come like these Corinthians were, and our hearts are involved in the divisions of the local church, we're only thinking of ourselves, we're not thinking of the Lord, we're not uh, enjoying the Lord and trying to be a blessing, be worshipfully a blessing, as it were, uh, towards God, if you can put it that way, and a blessing towards one another. If we're not like that, we're coming and in an unworthy manner, manner we are in that sense guilty of the body and blood of the Lord how very solemn and we know that we cannot lose our salvation or anything like that but just stop to think of what he's saying here he's saying to come and unworthily drink um, of um, of the, the this cup that speaks of blessings coming to us and we are busily not blessing others, not blessing the Lord uh, in, in our lives, that is a very dishonouring thing. And therefore, in that sense, we are bringing guilt upon ourselves. And, and that will bring um, disharmony between us and the, 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 the God that we love. So, he'll go on to speak on how that will be worked out. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, you notice he doesn't say, let a man examine himself and therefore not come. There's some people that feel, oh, I'll have to stay away from the Lord's Supper because I'm not worthy. 
And, and really, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, examine yourself and come in the right manner. It's not examine yourself to dig in to yourself to find all the sin that's inside and then say, well, Lord, I'm not really worthy to come, so I'll not come this week. That is a dangerous precedent you're setting. I remember one time when I wasn't uh, long saved, I, I had a really rough time in my Christian life, and I was. I, I, I remember one Lord's Day morning, I, I was really bothered about thinking there was some unconfessed sin that I couldn't work out what it was. I wasn't enjoying the Lord. I wasn't taking his word to heart about confessing your sins and accepting and moving forward because the fact of the matter is the Lord knows everything uh, even when you don't know uh, and there were all these issues and I wasn't resisting the devil uh, in my life the way I should have been and so it was causing all sorts of problems inside me I kept looking in and seeing all the sin that was inside I remember one Lord's Day morning I said I said to my folks I'm not going to the breaking of bread today I, I just don't feel I'm right um, my dad came into my room and he says, you know, Andrew, the only other person that's ever, ever said that to me was my brother. Sadly, his brother's been away from the Lord in many ways, it seems, for many years. Um, and really, there, there's a danger there. There's a danger to take the wrong thing out of this passage. It says, let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And then he says, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment or condemnation, judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So what's he saying here? I think what he's saying is that to go along with an, the wrong attitude of heart and mind, to gather together as the Lord's people, to go through a form and there be no reality beneath it, to be going around thinking of other brothers and sisters who we've got issues with or causing division or perhaps we are just living in a way that's just completely inappropriate and particularly in this context we're coming along and and we're we're only doing it for self and we're not thinking of others and all these kind of things you're actually bringing condemnation upon yourself judgment now we can't be judged eternally but we can be disciplined by the Lord. And there's a sense in which we're not discerning the Lord's body. We're not appreciating and, 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 and understanding what it means for him to have died on the cross. Now it could be that some people think the Lord's body in view here is the body of Christians. The body of the Lord in the sense of the body of Christ. Um, and, and here we're all members of the body of Christ. And we're we're not discerning that. If we're living in a way that is, you know, looking at other brothers and sisters and we're not recognizing them as part of the body as we're you know, we could that could be what's behind it. But anyway, he says we're not discerning the Lord's body. Then he says more. We have not only the revelation of the Lord, I should say, we have not only the condition of Corinth, the revelation of the Lord, the application to practice. He then points out the condemnation of Corinth. Now, this is really solemn, as you've probably gathered so far. For this reason, he says, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. He says, listen, because you're not judging yourself before you come, because you're not bringing yourself into the Lord's presence and saying, Lord, I've got this wrong attitude of heart towards brother X or brother Y or sister X or Y. Um, because you're not doing that, 
Many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. In other words, Corinth had got to such a condition that God was having to move in in discipline among a lot of them. In fact, some of them had been taken away early. Uh, now that's really solemn. Do you remember the James 5 passage of you know, someone is sick and so on, let them call for the elders of the church and that seems to bring the context to, to a circumstance, a particular circumstance where someone is sick because of the disciplining hand of the Lord. Now not every sickness is because of that. For instance, John 9 tells us um, about a man um, and, and, and he was asked, was it, was it either him or his, his parents that sinned that he's like he is now? And, and the Lord says, it's neither. He, this is so that the glory of God might be worked out. So there are many occasions when sickness is merely circumstantial. It's merely because uh, God has allowed this to come into your life to help you in some way uh, so that you might get to know him better or, or whatever. And, and so sickness is not always a discipline. But there are occasions in the New Testament when sickness, and, and even uh, if, if the sickness is not responded to, many sleep, um, where, where the, the sickness might actually lead to death because there is sin that has come in and it's unjudged and undealt with. So that's very solemn. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged, he tells us. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Notice this, we are chastened by the Lord that we might not be condemned with the Word. The big section on chastening and the chastisement of the Lord is is Hebrews chapter 12. You know, which which son is it that the father doesn't chasten? Of course, if you have no chastening, no chastisement in your life, it, it, it calls into question the reality of your salvation. That's really solemn, isn't it? Uh, anyway, so when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Why? That we might not be condemned with the word. You see, those who are out in the world, they're not getting chastened for bad attitudes and wrong ideas. They're not getting chased for that. But that's because they're under the condemnation of the world, which is eternal judgment. Now, we are not under that. We'll never be judged that way. But we can lose the joy of our salvation. We can, in this sense, even become weak and sick on certain occasions because God is moving to bring us back so that we might know him better. Therefore, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Now, he seems to not be saying that you shouldn't come together to eat. Notice that. He's not saying that you shouldn't. Now, whether we look at this as the Lord's Supper at this point or, or the Agape meal, um, both are true. Wait for one another. Have that care for one another. Don't just be thinking of yourself. So that's the heart of his argument here. The selfishness that marks him. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. In other words, if some of these richer brothers are really desperate and they need food and all that, well, just you eat at home then. Lest you're coming together for judgment. And he says, the rest will I set in order when I come. In other words, there's other issues. But I'll, I'll try to deal with those when I'm among you uh, myself. Now, when you're reading through these, this chapter... Um, we find out certain things 
And for instance, we find out that it's what the Lord wants that should govern the meetings of the local church. It's the Lord's Supper, for instance. So the fact that I have a great idea about what a local church gathering should be or how I should act with other people is secondary to what the Lord wants. So we must remember that. It's really clear that he is the centre. We should be Christ-centred in everything. We should be looking to find out what the Lord wants in our local churches. Um, gatherings of the local church should be a mutual blessing for all Christians. Now this is really clear. You come together not for the better but for the worse. As we come together there should be that warmth and that blessing where we go away. Yes, we're not coming merely for ourselves. We're coming to enjoy the Lord. But that should be, the secondary blessing from that should be that there should be that warmth and that blessing that flows to each brother and sister for being there. And what could mar this good time? Well, as we see, this kind of wrong attitude to other people could really mar it. So we should be careful with our attitudes to brothers and sisters. And what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper as outlined in this passage? Well, it's to remember him. It's to show forth his death. It's to proclaim his, the death and it's till he come. And so there's that sense in which it's the Lord's Supper. It's about him. We should focus on him. Enjoy him. What verses in this chapter could you turn to to prove that the local church is not a mere social club? but that we should be socially aware. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, obviously he's saying that you, you, you need to care about everybody. So I suppose a social club is about you know, making sure people are included in some measure. Uh, but usually um, with a social club, that's the end of it. Whereas the focus of the local church is the centrality of Christ. Now, if Christ cares about everyone, and he does, if Christ has died for everyone, and he has, if Christ is paid the same price and given his body and his blood for everyone as he has, I therefore should be socially aware. I should have a love for everyone, even if they don't fit my social circle, if they don't, they don't fit my um, educational background, my click, click, whatever it is, that should not be a deciding factor. Now, how can we improve our personal attitudes in the gatherings of our local church? That's a good question to take away with you. Now, it's really important, I've said at the bottom of the handout, that we realise that everything is to be Christocentric rather than egocentric in a local church. That Christ has to be the centre. Someone has put it like this, I think, um, probably me actually, <laughs> I hope it was anyway. I'm taking it and assuming it's mine. Uh, if you find it someone else, sorry, it's not purposeful plagiarism. But as truth, he is our foundation. First Corinthians 3. As Passover lamb, he has bought us. First Corinthians 5. As head, he is to be honoured. First Corinthians 11. As Lord, he's the theme of our praise and worship. First Corinthians 11. And all the use of the gifts, gifts should acquiesce in this. See First Corinthians 12. As an example, he is our motivation and love, 1 Corinthians 13. As risen, he is our ultimate hope, 1 Corinthians 15. As returning bridegroom, he deserves our allegiance, 2 Corinthians 11. 
a scrutinizing judge priest he deserves our attention christ is to be the center of everything we do in the local church thank you